You're listening to the Race Wide Open podcast. Well, welcome in to episode three of the Race Wide Open podcast. I'm your host, Rusty Gregory, and on today's show, my guest is one of the most recognisable voices in all of Australian motorsport, the one and only Wade Oranger. If you haven't already, make sure you do jump back into the archives and have a listen to our back catalogue of episodes, or follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on to make sure that you don't miss out on any of our new content. A new episode of the Race Wide Open podcast drops every two weeks and we have some of the biggest names and some of the most interesting people from Australia and abroad lined up over the next few episodes. But before we get into what is a pretty eye-opening chat with Wade, let's catch up on our race highlights. It's been a really busy two weeks since we last dropped an episode, uh, with many racing series beginning to fire up for the 2023 season. The Maguire's Australian Production Car Championship got underway with their first round of the series taking place at Sandown International Raceway in extremely hot conditions, with the BMW of Dean Campbell and Cameron Crick grabbing the outright win ahead of Simon Hodges and Jaden Ojeda. The next round of the championship, though, isn't until May, with plenty of time for races to regroup after what was a pretty carnage-filled event with a lot of crashes and a lot of mechanical issues for competitors to deal with because of the hot weather. There's also plenty of racing going on elsewhere in Victoria with the Aeroflow NDRC Sportsman Drag Racing Series swinging into action with over 120 races hitting the track at South Coast Raceway in Portland, Victoria under perfect skies. The story of the weekend, though, was undoubtedly Glenn Henley in Top Sportsman who recorded recorded his fifth consecutive event win, including four national events. Undoubtedly, he's in a strong position for the championship and will be looking to consolidate when we next see him on track as part of the Western Conference. To Speedway now, and the domination of Jock Goodyear and Lockie McHugh just keeps on rolling. This time, it's into the Perth Motorplex as part of the Festival of Sprint Cars. There is five days of racing over nine days and the past two Australian champions in Goodyear and McHugh put on an absolute show in the feature race last Saturday night going side by side for what was the better part of 10 or 15 laps in what was probably one of the best displays of talent and trust between two young racers that I've seen for a long, long time. Although they came really close, they never actually touched and both Lockie and Jock could not contain their smiles when they got out of the cars after the race. Goodyear would take the victory and backed it up uh, with a midweek mayhem feature race win on Wednesday night uh, ahead of the Cricky Boys shootout, which is coming up this weekend coming as we're recording this on what is traditionally one of the biggest events on the Perth Sprint Car calendar. I also need to give credit where credit's due to the production team that's producing the 7-plus coverage that's been coming out of the Motorplex, among other events this season. The coverage has been absolutely top shelf, and it's been really refreshing to be able to watch the new generation of sprint car talent live on free-to-air coverage. So well done to Dean Neal and the whole team over there in Perth for having the vision to bring this idea to life and it is absolutely helping raise the profile of sprint car racing uh, in Australia and abroad because there are plenty of people starting to sit up and take notice, I can tell you. Finally, uh, moving to drag racing in America now. The pro shootout at Bradenton in Florida took place last weekend and by all accounts was a success, both from a commercial aspect as well as a racing aspect. 
The Invitational event featured eight car fields for Top Fuel and Nitro Funny Car, with the non-qualifiers in each class pairing off for a Dragster versus Funny Car shootout. Top Fuel and Funny Car were both running for 250 grand each, which is one of the biggest purses in drag racing history, at least in the professional ranks, while ProStock was a 16-car field running for $125,000 US. There were a few eyebrows raised early on in testing ahead of the event when Antron Brown logged what would have been the fastest speed for a Top Fuel Dragster in history. Uh, during testing, but it was later debunked as not legitimate by the organisers and by the team that put together the timing system. Although, Bob Tasker, the third, broke one of the next big barriers in drag racing when he smashed through the 340-mile-per-hour barrier in funny car qualifying, hitting 341.68 miles per hour on his way to qualifying number two behind Austin Proc. Now, to put that in perspective, that's almost 550 kilometres per hour. It is an incredible milestone. I don't think we'll see uh, any time soon uh, getting to 350. We still haven't seen a top-field dragster go over 340 miles per hour yet, uh, but I'll tell you, I don't think the day is too far away when that happens. Speaking of Austin Proc, he would go on to win the event in what was his first start as a fully-fledged Nitro Funny Car driver. Obviously, he's got a few seasons under his belt now in top fuel, but this season he is filling in for Robert Height as Robert Height sits out due to medical issues, unfortunately not able to take his spot in the seat. And that's a shame because he is a championship driver, a multi-time NHRA championship winning driver, uh, but unfortunately not able to race this season. But he's got a pretty good deputy in Austin Proc, who has the novelty, I guess, of racing for a team which is crew chiefed by his dad and his brother. It's a pretty cool story. It's a very cool family operation uh, running under the four John Force Racing uh, motorsport banner. So very, very cool story, that one. Doug Coletta picked up where he left off with a win in the Top Fuel shootout, backing up his championship win from last year, as did Erica Enders in Pro Stock. But probably the biggest question to come out of this event is exactly how the NHRA will react to the Pro, which is the Professional Races Organisation promoted event, uh, that really presented the sport in a very different way to the traditional national event format. This event had nothing to do with the NHRA. They didn't organise it. They didn't supply any of the tech people. This was organised and promoted by Pro. And the hierarchy from Pro insists that they weren't out to prove a point to the NHRA. But there is no doubt that the big purses that were on offer, the big prize money, the different race formats, and it was all done to put the NHRA on notice that they don't have to be the only show in town when it comes to big show nitro racing. The NHRA, for their part, has not acknowledged the event, uh, but they were very, very active in releasing a lot of social media content over the weekend of the pro event. Uh, call me a cynic, but I'll leave you to jump to your own conclusions there. The NHRA season is due to begin only a month away, uh, only 170 miles up the road from where they had the pro shootout in Gainesville for the traditional Gator Nationals. And that wraps up our race highlights for this week. My guest on this week's show is a voice and a face that is known to just about anybody who has watched Aussie motorsports over the last 30 years. Wade Oranger is a vastly experienced and versatile commentator and TV host who has ridden the highs and the lows of TV broadcasting from announcing alongside some of his heroes to having to deliver what was some of the most sombre of news live on air. And it all began on the living room floor of the family home as a kid playing with Hot Wheels cars. Uh, we have got a 
voice that is very familiar to many, many motorsport fans. Not just speedway, not just drag racing. You also find yourself doing circuit racing, probably jet boat racing. You've probably done two cockroaches running up a wall. Welcome into the <laughs> podcast, Wade Orger. How are you going, mate? Good, Rusty. How are you doing? Uh, not two cockroaches yet, but... Um... As I get older, I won't rule that kind of income out. I have looked at many bingo games and thought, hmm, is that where my life is headed one day? Look, anything's on the table, mate. Uh, you're a very talented, a very versatile guy, and you're a guy who I actually owe a thank you to because it's about 15 years ago you gave me my first shot doing TV commentary uh, on the Andra Drag Racing Sportsman TV show. So I do have to say a big thank you to you. You can't blame me for that, mate. Well, no, not <laughs> me blaming you. Everyone else can blame me because it's stuck with me ever since. It's a long time ago, isn't it? It's funny. Um, it's funny how people sometimes say, um, "Oh, yeah, now I know your voice," and I'm like, "What?" Because it's like you know, our voice is what we talk with, so it's not like it's a um, something where you go, "Oh, yeah, people should recognize the way you sound." It's just like, and a lot of times, times people also don't think you're going to sound like you sound. It's like, um, how, how you know how would I sound differently? <laughs> And I guess in the in the in the moment when you're on the chip, you know, in a live broadcast sense, then you obviously sound different because you're up in the rev range. But it's, it's it's always been a bit funny to me. But one thing that is kind of amazing is, you know, when I hang out with people like, um, you know, Steve and Debbie Reed and Fiona and Daniel just recently at Sydney Dragway, and you go, man, I remember commentating, you know, Steve and Debbie in the start, you bastard, you know, era. Um, at Sydney and Willowbank and stuff because it was Nathan Prendergast that bullied me and encouraged me into calling other forms of, of motorsport. Otherwise, I would never have been into calling drag racing. It was Nathan going, hey, man, you need to call something else. So we all have those influences, but it was, you know, only when I start look at that and they go, you know, our daughter's just got a, you know, Fiona and Daniel's daughters have now got a junior dragster and you go, oh, my God. So there's a good chance that I'll be calling like a fourth generation at some point. It's crazy to think, crazy to think that that you are getting into the fourth generation, not just in drag racing, but in a lot of motorsports around Australia. And and you talk about you know commentating that far back. Let's go a little bit further back. How did you get involved in this caper in the first place? Because everyone knows you've been around it forever, but how did you actually get started? Um, if you if you asked my mum and dad for a long time, they would say that my commentary hasn't changed since I was announcing Hot Wheels cars on the lounge room floor. So, you know, uh, and I was amazingly always able to win those big races. You know, it was always Oranger that got the win in the last corner. And and it was always a speedway. It was, was not in a straight line and it was not a circuit racing thing. It was always a circular track on the carpet. Um, so my my papa started our, my family's uh, love affair with speedway racing in Western Australia. He was a farmer in the wheat fields, uh, Western Australia, a little place called Carnamar that nobody's really heard of and three springs and Ming knew these little, you know, dot on the map places. And he would get in his car and drive 191 mile. Now you being a drag racer, you better convert that immediately to kilometers for me. So what is that? About 340, 350, somewhere around there. I've got a better understanding of that than I used to have. So he would drive 330, 340 Ks one way, go and watch the speedway on Friday off his tractor and then get back on the in the car after the show and go back and get on the tractor. So he was obsessed with Speedway at Claremont and he took my dad. Uh, and then when I was born, I think I was like three or something like that when I first got to experience it. And um, by all reports, there was hell to pay if I wasn't allowed to go from that point on. Cause once 
One, I could throw a pretty good tantrum, apparently, if they tried to take themselves without me going with them to Claremont. So my nana and papa and my dad would go religiously Friday night to Claremont Speedway. And my nana would say, even to the day she died, she would say, that, you know, I always had this weird way of saying, oh, Mick McKeon's going to win this one, nana, or there's going to be a crash in this one, nana. And she'd always look at me like, it was kind of odd that I would have some sort of, not that I was ever psychic, Rusty, because God <laughs> knows that's not truth. But I just had a bit of a sense, I think, for who was fast early and things like that. So my dad was in the Air Force. And uh, when I was six, we got posted to Werribee, Point Cook, Laverton that way down in Melbourne. And so my nana would keep mailing the programs from Claremont Speedway to me, all filled out, you know, all the results. So I would just pour over these, every photo, every caption, every article, every result. And so we lived in there for two years. So I was eight and then we got posted to Malaysia and my nana would keep mailing me the programs. So I would, you know, from eight to 10 years old, I'd just read over this. I could recall, you know, captions from programs, you know, that go back into the early 70s just because I was so obsessed with it. And so we finally got posted back to South Australia when I was sort of 10 through to 15. And uh, I went to Speedway Park, as it was called then, it was then later called Speedway City, and took my dad and, and also my dad took me and then also one of my best best friends on the planet, he would start going with us. And when I turned um, 15, about to turn 16, dad got posted back to Perth. So I was like, hell yeah, now I can go to the, the Speedway with Popper again. And uh, it was three, two weeks before the start of the season and my Popper died. He passed away before we got to go. And so I wrote a letter to the editor of the Claremont Speedway program and just said, um, you know, hi, um, I'm a 15-year-old resident of Bullsbrook in Western Australia and my Popper used to go to the Speedway. This would have been his 35th year. He used to drive 191 mile each way and... You know, he loved his speedway and it's because of him that I, you know, love it so much as well. And I was just wondering if you could put maybe a line in your program somewhere that said, you know, George Onger, because he put a lot into the sport, you know. And so that night we drove into the track, my dad and I, and uh, they printed the whole letter. My whole letter was like in the program. Wow. And so my dad didn't know anything about that and neither did my nana. So it was pretty emotional, you know, for them to read that. Mm. And we went to the office that night and I, I went to go and visit or asked for Brad Thompson, who was the editor of the program. And it was this nice lady at the front door. And I said, oh, um, is Brad Thompson here? And she said, no, he's not here yet. Why is that? And I said, oh, I just wanted to say thank you for putting my letter in. And the lady said, no, no, that was Con Mogro that put that in there. Uh, and to me, that was like, you know, Con was the man. He's the, the promoter of, of Claremont Speedway. She said he thought it was a lovely letter and he put it in. And I didn't realise till later that that was Con's wife I was talking to. So we just sort of got to know each other. Um, and uh, I was writing letters back to my best mate in Adelaide because back in the day, Rusty, you're too young to remember this, we had to handwrite everything. Yeah. And uh, all my letters would be like, in heat four, Bert Vosbergen came out of position 10 and... My mate Jason's like, man, what are you sending me this for? Like, you should be sending it to a magazine. I'm like, dude, I'm 15 years old. Like, who really wants to hear from a 15-year-old kid? He's like, I think you should try. So anyway, I, I asked a few magazines, and they all had Ken Brown writing for them, who still writes to this day. He's an ornament to journalism and Speedway. And there was one magazine, Wayne Meyer's dad, Bill Meyer, had um, Speedway Star magazine. And he said, I'll give you a go. So I was handwriting letters and mailing them. And um, he was calling it Western Ways with Wade Orange. And so I was in year 10 at high school and writing for this magazine. And that's pretty well how it all sort of started. And then it snowballed from there. 
And it, it really did snowball because the Speed Car Association wanted me to write Wild and Wingless, their column in the program every week. And then the Super Sedan said, well, can you write for us? And I had a big two-page kind of spread that was sponsored. And so, and, and the funny thing is my chemistry teacher at high school at Eastern Hills was actually my, um, uh, uh, he was on the, the Speed Car pit crew for Neville Lance, who was one of my heroes. So I never got tossed out of chemistry, even though I had no reason or um <laughs> I really shouldn't have been in there because I had no idea what I was talking about. So it sort of progressed from, you know, being writing letters to my mate to writing letters to Con at Speedway about my papa to then having this article in Speedway Star and then writing. And then Con said to me, would you like to edit the program and and commentate? Because Brad Thompson was leaving and I was like 16 at the time. And I said, well, I definitely want to commentate, even though I'd never considered it rusty. It wasn't like I was running around going, I hope I get to commentate. It never really occurred to me. And so Con said, well, if you, you know, you're going to have to go and learn. And uh, so he sent me to Ellenbrook Speedway and Ellenbrook is like the winter track in WA. So they had two, they had Bibra Lake and they had Ellenbrook and they would alternate every Sunday. And so I just went up there and commentated three cars in a junior race and five cars in a, you know, B grade sprint car race. And that's how I learned to, you know, just to try and try and learn. And I showed up at Claremont the next year and I was vastly unprepared. I cannot listen to any of my early commentary. It was just horrific. It's amazing how many people involved with the sport, it grows out of that obsession in your youth, you know, and not just commentary, not just in the media side of things, but races as well. It's not often you come across somebody who discovered the sport as an adult and jumped in with both feet. It, it That passion comes from deep inside. It's a little scary too because it's quite limiting, Rusty, isn't it? Because if we relied on a new market that just, well, oh, what's this all about? I'll go and check that out. We'd be screwed because if we didn't have, you know, and 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 grandparents are a huge part of that. Now, um, when it started to rain, you know, straight our weekend at Sydney, and and I said Nathan and I were talking to Steve and Debbie and and Daniel and Fiona, and uh, and I was doing we were doing an interview for the screen there, and I said to Daniel, "Gee, I know a bloke that would have been pretty." proud of you yesterday and the tears just welled up in his eyes and I, I didn't mean to make him cry but you can do the same thing with me with my papa and my papa died when I was 15 years old you know and those memories are still so powerful and my nana she had a picture on her tv until the day she died in her 90s in the nursing home with a photo of papa and my letter you know in the frame so th those those memories are very powerful um and, you know, my son Liam announces now, you know, um, and so, and, and and I don't think people necessarily think, oh, you know, wow, with your son following your footsteps, you're an announcer. And yet when you think about it, Andy Raymond, you know, with, with Mike Raymond for all those years, I know that there are several, you know, second and third generation announcers in different forms of motorsport too. So Liam races and he announces, I never got to do both those things, but, you know, family is very important in our sport, Rusty. And, I, I never used to be what I would call a, a diehard drag racing fan back in the day when I was doing that stuff for Speed Week. Uh, I was very um, impressed by it and I was very um, excited by the speed and the noise and the energy, but I really fallen far more in love with it this time around because of the families. The people uh, have really, really caught my my uh, my heart this year in particular and the, and the year before, and I think you know, losing Sam... Uh, last year was a really powerful and pivotal moment in in understanding the the passion and the and the the love affair that these people have for the sport. So I love people more than I love racing, which is probably a strange thing to say. 
But I think that's exactly why we're in the sport. You know, you, you get into it for the records, the numbers, the trophies, everything that goes along with it. But ultimately, the reason that you stay in the sport is because of the people. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, and, and I'm getting a lot of people saying, oh, you know, what? You, you're a sprint car guy, aren't you? And I go, why do you say that? You know, it's because, because yeah, I, I was involved in promoting World Series sprint cars, but my, my first real love was solos and sidecars in speedway you know motorcycle speedway and and speed cars and saloon cars and and so um i love motocross i love the, the management 15000 i love the hatter desert race i love um ta2 muscle cars you know so but it, that all stems from the people that i get to deal with and i was telling uh, my friend kylie adams her husband is lee adams who's like the 10 time australian speedway champion and we go mountain bike riding a fair bit here in Mildura. And I said, only last weekend I was standing in the pits at Olympic Park Speedway for the Victorian sidecar title, taking photos of guys going, I'm literally engaging with and taking photos of and being friends with some of the greatest sidecar riders Australia has ever produced. And I'm doing it like it's nothing. Now, if you and I went to the NRL on the weekend and we thought, you know, I don't know, I want to be mates with, I'm Cleary or someone like that. Let's just add him on Facebook and maybe buy a T-shirt off him and we'll become friends. That shit just doesn't happen. But in our sport, I bet your friends will. I bet you could name me 10 of your heroes, Rusty, that you're friends with. 100%. And and guys that I started out absolutely awestruck, when you hold the microphone in mm -hmm. front of them, your hand is shaking because you're that nervous in, in interviewing them. But eventually you get to the point where uh, I wouldn't say you're peers with them, but you're definitely on a level at which you can go up, say, hi, how's the family, and, and touch base. And that, that's one of the great privileges of what we both yeah. get to do. Absolutely. And, and the privilege is a good word, Rusty. It's a really good word for it because, um, you know, when I was a little kid, um, you know, hanging onto the the safety fence at Claremont, watching Mick McKeon and Dennis Nash, they were gods. That they, they they were something I couldn't have even imagined meeting, let alone anything else. And you know, in a couple weekends' time, the Western Nationals is on at Perth Motorplex, and Mick McKeon's seventieth birthday party is on the Sunday and get Saturday. And guess what? I've been invited to go, and I'm not going to be able to. And I said to Mick, I said, I just. To the, these days, he's one of my really dear friends. And I just go, my life is just weird, you know? I never dreamed that I'd be friends, really, really good friends with my heroes, but that's what's happened. It's crazy to think. And if you go back and tell that 15-year-old kid when you first started out all those years ago mm. that this is the way life's going to go, that they definitely wouldn't believe you. But talking about how you, you got involved with Speedway, obviously that's where your passion lies, that's where your first love is, mm -hmm. but you've done a lot of different motorsports. And is that just out of necessity? Is it something that you you, you had to do to pay the bills or is it something that you went, you know yeah, what, I, I want to expand my portfolio, I want to expand my horizons and see what else is out there? So that was Nathan Prendergast, flat out. That, that was Nathan's fault because I didn't want to. I was quite happy calling sprint cars, World Series Sprint Cars in Parramatta. And he kept pushing me and pushing me and saying, mate, you need to call something else. I'm like, man, I don't want to. Go and call drag racing. I don't want to. Go and call boats. I don't want to. And, and I think at the time he didn't have necessarily a big pool of people he could have brought in at that time, you know. So um, anyway, he eventually sort of nudged me towards Speed Week. And so suddenly, and when now when I look back on it, if I was to start writing you know, offshore powerboats, jet sprinting, Southern 80, um, you know, uh, superbike championship, Formula Extreme bikes, 
the Mitsubishi Mirage series, the Hyundai uh, series, the, the Daewoo series back in the day, um, production car racing, sports car racing, the, the uh, power tour with the trucks and the stock cars because they weren't allowed to be called NASCARs, Formula Ford back in the day, Formula 3 with Richard Crail, um, all of that sort of stuff just came from Nathan edging me in that direction. And and out of that, I got to announce with Daryl Eastlake, which was enormous for me at the time. Like, what, what an absolute privilege to announce with one of the gods of broadcasting and entertainment. Uh, and I got to work with Alan Jones a couple of times as well, um, the Formula One Alan Jones, not the uh, radio broadcaster Alan Jones. So over the years, I've been very, very fortunate. And it's funny, probably one of the most pivotal things Nathan did was he said, I want you to do... Um, he didn't call it an audition, but I realised later that's what it was. He said, I want you to call this uh, this race I've got from Oran Park, come into Speed Week. And Speed Week AVE was located in Lavender Bay then. It was like literally you could get a T-shirt gun and maybe fire across and hit Kirribilli House or Luna Park. And uh, he said, I've got a guy that's got this new series and he wants you to, he wants to hear, you know, you you just throw a few words at this series. And I was like, hmm, okay. He didn't say anything about it. He just said, do whatever comes to mind. And this guy came in and sat with me and I had no idea who he was. And he said, just pretend there are no rules and just have fun. And it was six V8 Utes around Oran Park. And I didn't realise at the time that I was auditioning for the Australian V8 or the Brute Ute Series, which was which is hands down my favourite um, non-dirt track experience that I've ever had in my life was to become part of that V8 Ute Series because that was phenomenal. Yeah, it was, and he did it for a long time. And 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 talking about Speed Week, it's amazing how much talent came out of Speed Week. You know, yeah. when you look at, at not just the the on screen talent and the voice talent, but also the editors that have come out of it, the camos that that got their grounding there. Um, that probably has contributed more than just about any other program to Australian motorsport and in terms of uh, the the grounding that people have got because I don't think people would realise when you go through the list of commentators that started there, yourself included, me, Chad Nalon, Matt Nolte, um, Benny Bish has done some stuff, Lee Diffie started there, Greg Greg Rust. Rust. Richard Crail. So many guys came out of that Mark that Osler. little stu- that little studio, and it's it's yeah. incredible to think how far and how wide mm. that net has been cast now. Ali Drower, um, yeah, because Ali of course went on to to uh, marry into the Bates family as well. But Ali was one of our co-hosts for the V8 Ute series, you know, back in the day. And Daryl Eastlake was certainly one of those guys. And then all those superstar drivers and riders that they brought in. Um, it's funny because. Greg and Richard Rowley is one of my favourite examples of somebody that's come out of AVA, who's who I always call the Steven, Steven Spielberg of filming motor racing because he's a freak. And um, Greg's phone number, who I know off by heart, 0412120544. I'd see that number come up my phone, it'd be Greg, and he'd go, G'day, Wade, what's it going to cost me? Which meant, which meant he was desperate for me to go and commentate something, you know. And I, re- I remember calling um, the Australian Jet Ski Championship at like uh, Malulabar Beach or something like that. And I sat in the truck, the OB truck, outside Greg's house in Padstow. And he that was the old editing days. They had to spin the, you know, the, the vision back. It was, no lin- it was non-linear. It was all linear. Um, so that, that sort of stuff, um, Greg has been phenomenal for motor racing. Speedweek is an iconic TV show. Without Speed Week, how many categories in Australian motorsport would never have got TV? Oh, it'd be 
yeah, the list would be endless, really, because it made it affordable for categories to be able to get on TV and get into a good time slot as well. It wasn't like it was being run at 2 o'clock in the morning on, on the ABC, for example. It was yeah. it was prime time on a Sunday afternoon for the most part. And, you know, for, for what that program did for, for Australian motorsports, I don't think it can ever be understated. But so coming back to you now... Um, You've done so many different things. You talk about the V8 Ute Series. That's probably where a lot of people came across you for the first time that weren't already involved with dirt track racing. So what did that do for for not just your career, but also, I guess, taking it further to a professional level? Um, Well, the the word professional is probably an interesting term, um, Rusty, because we were very loose. I mean, you just couldn't. You just couldn't commentate like that anymore. And... And Craig Denyer always said to me and anyone that joined the series, and I have so much respect for Craig Denyer, um, he said entertainment first, motor racing second. That was his mantra with the whole category from day dot. So, and, you know, R- Ross Palmer was the original, you know, brainchild behind that with Craig. It was Ross's money and vision along with Craig's um, incredible inspiration. So, you know, I would say things like um, Sunday morning, this will put a lump in your doona. You know, welcome to the V8 Ute Series. And just the most ridiculous. And Grant Boyden and I and Wayne Russell, we used to just, some of the stuff I look back on and go, oh, wow. Like, how do we, how do we get away? All that we were definitely the clowns of the circus. And I mean, the category was very professional in the way that guys went about it. But we used to tear so much shit up that it probably took away our credibility even though it it begat some phenomenal drivers like you know think of marcus sakanovic grant daniel warren luff you know just to peel off grant johnson jack elsgood like there was some phenomenal talent out of the utes as drivers um and i'm I'm forgetting so many and i just list those ones but that category really i think put me into the v8 supercar paddock and I, I just remember the Clipsal in particular. Clipsal was so much fun. And they always had these super professional Channel 7 presenters. Um, there was Mark Smith, who was from like Today, Tonight. Um, Andrew Peters, who was like SAFM. Um, they always had these amazing um, presenters that were more TV skewed. And so whenever the Utes came in, I'd have to you know open the door and sneak inside. And I'd just see this look on their face like, here we go. Like, what is going to happen now? And I recall um, actually announcing one year at Clipsal in full Kiss makeup because Kiss were playing playing that night as well. So the beautiful part was that Craig gave me complete creative autonomy and um, that was some of the greatest years of my life involved in that category. It's so hard to look at it now as as a super youth class and not compare it because it's not fair. It's It's a totally different world these days. It shows a lot of trust in you uh, to know where that line is. And a lot of the time when you're on live TV, it's not easy to know where that line is. I saw the look on your face at a couple of things I said, even just a couple of weekends ago, Rusty. So I know that I still I still step across lines that I, that, that maybe, maybe I'm, at times, I, I, I'm i never down the middle. I'm always the, the, the John Zapier of the top door slammer run. I'm never through the middle, right? I just cross over it on the way to the finish every now and again. Um, there's times when I say things out of ignorance, um, you know, not necessarily meaning what you interpret. And you go, oh, wow, I can't believe you said that. And I go, why? Like, it's not that I meant to be that clever uh, or run that double entendre. I would like to tell you that I was smart enough, Rusty. The reality was I wasn't. I was just looking for a laugh and I was looking for a, a way to entertain people. 
So I appreciate you giving me credit for that trust or that understanding. Uh, every now and again, Craig Daniel would, you know, would have to pull us back. But every time we mention Raj Sharma, Grant Grant Boyd would go, like a tiger, like a tiger. And you just you just couldn't do that stuff anymore. So we were so, so privileged to work through. And I remember Daryl Eastlake, you know, Daryl did the Utes with us for a little while there. And and I called the Superbikes with him. And um, when I very first met him, it was like, oh God, Daryl Eastlake. Like he he's a he was a big presence, you know. Like, so he would come in the room and he, he straight up said to me, young fella, you know these boys, I don't. You call the race, I'll just chip in. And I was expecting he was going to walk in and say, Rightio, bloke. I'm Daryl Eastlake. You can listen up. This is the way we're going to do it. You'll talk when I say you can talk. It was exactly the opposite. And I remember we had to do level checks. You know how level checks work, Rusty. They'll say, give us a level. And you go, radio, Rusty Gregory in lane one. And they'll go, give us a big one. You go, oh, so you don't blow off the, the red limit. Well, we did that. Now, Nath goes, give us a level weight. And I'm like, yeah, radio, Rusty Gregory in gate one. And then, oh, look at this. And he goes, Radio Daryl Daryl goes, oh, there's Rusty Gregory in lane one. And then he goes, gives something, he goes, oh, he's absolutely huge. And I was like, oh, wow. Yes, that's exactly what I was just pumping. And later on, I accidentally said the word huge. Oh, that was a huge move, Daryl. He goes, oh, get your own word. And, and that was just <laughs> in the middle of the. So there are moments where you just have those pinch yourself moments and go, how did I get to go from the mum and dad's bedroom floor with the matchbox cars to this, you know? And the flip side to that is for, for the good times, there's also the hard bits as well. Mm. And last year you had one of the hard bits. Of course, you were on the mic when uh, Sam Fennick tragically had his accident up at Willow Bank Raceway. As an announcer, fortunately, that's something I haven't had to do yet. But when you're reporting back to people who are watching online, people at the venue who you know, for the most part, are still holding their breath about what happened. How hard is it to maintain your composure and, and I guess, keep it professional and keep it straight down the middle and, and not try and, um, I guess, guess at what is happening down there? It, it's got to be an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, if, I, if I, this might sound really strange to say this, Rusty, it's actually a privilege um, because you are you're trying to keep people in in some moment there that is so incredibly powerful and overwhelming and emotional and all those sort of things so to be the voice of reason not that that is maybe the right word but nathan was in my ear i know rob oberg was very very emotional at the time rob rob is obviously known i only met sam two days before so for me um it was just trying to process it, whereas Rob was extremely emotional. He's good friends with all those guys. And Nathan said to me, I can, our producer, um, I can come out on the main straight. We need to say something here, mate. I can do it if you want. I said, no, 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 I'll do it. Let's do it, mate. So I've gone down the floor and we knew, Nathan had told me that we couldn't say anything, that it was that it was dire, you know, and that, and nobody was saying anything officially. I think they were still working on Sam at the time. But I had this overwhelming need to say to people, please be respectful. Like that, my biggest fear was that everybody had their phones out, was already going to be all over the internet. Everybody wanted to be that guy with 50,000 views on that car crash on their phone. So my main feeling was um, 
watching the community of drag racing while we were standing there ready to give that information, all the top fuel guys were in the lane to come out next and they're all standing together and they were coming up to me and saying, are you okay? And most of those guys have been friends with Sam for a long, long time. So I was watching this community galvanizing in a really incredibly um, overwhelming and emotional moment, but I was watching the community strengthen as, as they stood in front of me. It was a, it was a very spiritual and very um, emotional moment. So my main thing was to try and get across to people, please just don't put this all over the net. Like just give his family some respect here and give Sam some respect. What I wish that I had done at the time, but I didn't want it to seem like I was trying to glamorize it. I wanted to get people to hold their phones up. I wanted the people to have the white lights on their phone because I wanted that vision for Sam's family one day to look at that and go, there is a community standing there and going, this is for you. But I was too scared to do that, feeling like people would think I was being insensitive to that. Mm -hmm. So that was a that was a real juggle. Um, at the end of it, ironically, I'd interviewed um, Phil Lamartina and Sarah only a couple of hours before that as husband and wife, and we talked about the dangers. And I said, you know, have you considered, Phil, what it's like for Sarah to do this? Have you considered Julie Reed what it's like, you know, Phil for Julie? I'd interviewed both those couples separately, and Phil said, we probably should have that conversation. This was only a couple of hours earlier. And so um, we talked a lot about the immortality and mortality and all those things just that day. And I had a, just had a, just had a, an, an awful feeling about something. I couldn't shake it. Anyway, at the end of the night, everyone's walking around checking on everybody in a, in a daze. And I, I grabbed Phil. I said, you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm okay. Are you okay? I said, yeah. I go, how's Sarah? He goes, I haven't even checked. I go, Phil, he was so busy checking on everybody else in his team that he forgot that his wife is, and he wasn't doing that because he's insensitive. He was just in that zone of of looking after everybody, and so that was this incredible community that I saw in in that moment afterwards. And when we left, Richard Rowley and I were uh, we rode back with Nathan Prendergast and um, to the hotel. And Richard said to me, "Can I just come in, hang out in your room for a while?" I was like, "Yeah, mate, of course." And we just sat there for about an hour and a half just trying to process it. Cause I think people think that that we're there and we're part, we're playing a part there, but we're not necessarily emotionally in enmeshed in it. And and Richie captures some incredible things with his camera work. And and one of his um, you know, one of his fellow cameramen was involved in that incident as well, who was, you know, at the time was critically injured. So um I think at that moment, special things can happen in the most critical times. And you know, it was my catching up with Adam Brand two days later and, and mentioning it to him and him saying to me, listen to this and playing that Our Church song to me in that moment. They're the connections and the friendships I have, Rusty, that I'm so grateful for. Oh, beautifully put, mate. Beautifully put. I, I don't think you can put a bow on it any better than that. And, um, yeah, it was an incredibly difficult time. And, and I want to give you full credit, mate, because what you did and the way you handled yourself on that night, um, obviously, for anybody who wasn't there, and I wasn't there, I was watching on 7, and uh, and oh, I was really? on the phone to yeah. pretty much anybody that I could get a hold of trying to find out what yeah. was going on. And, um, yeah, definitely an emotional night, mate. And thank you for handling it with the class the way that you did. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Rusty. You just, mate, you're just on your feet. It's all. It's not. It's not something you can, you can plan. It's um, 
it's happened unfortunately to me a couple of times with friends that I've commentated being killed and um yeah you know, we're, we're so mercifully um safe in so many aspects of our sport and nobody ever thinks I won't get back in a road car and yet people get killed every day in a road car and the irony was that Richard Rowley Nathan and I were at more risk driving home to the motel that night than Sam Fennick ever was that weekend yeah. and you look at the irony of that you know and that's what I think we we all need to keep in perspective um and I think that's probably what made me fall in love with the drag racing family even more was the way that that community stood together for Sam and in that moment. So, um, you know, I went to the NDRC round for this, for um, Sydney and I didn't go to the Australian Sprint Car Championship. And that's a big thing for people that know me. They know that I've, I feel really part of this community with drag racing and I'm very grateful for it, you know. 100%, mate, 100%. And, you know, you talk about spring car racing and we're, we're sort of getting to the tail end of our, our chat this time around. And I'll be honest, I haven't got to a lot of stuff that I wanted to talk to you about. But yeah, sure. looking at, at where it's taken you, you've commentated everywhere in Australia, just about every state and territory I think mm. you, you've done. You've gone overseas. You've commentated at Knoxville. You've commentated yeah. just about – is there anything left on the bucket list that you haven't done? Um. Look, if, if, if I wasn't able to do it anymore, um, then no, I wouldn't go, oh, geez, I wish I had done that. I went, I, I'm constantly surprised. I went to this event called Super Nationals a couple of years ago in Boone in Iowa, which has just captured my imagination. Real rednecks with paychecks, amazing. 1,000 cars enter for a seven-day speedway race. Um, and I went to Crandon in Wisconsin last year for the World Off-Road Stadium Trucks event. So I'm constantly being able to look at new forms and new things and go, how lucky, how lucky, how lucky, because this could all end tomorrow. And not only that, I'm 53 this year, and uh, I don't want to be that guy that can't let go, Rusty. So I need to plan this out and I need to stay relevant. And to be honest, calling drag racing has been a big challenge for me because you guys, are, I say you guys, because you are absolutely one of the best drag racing um, announcers that's in the game. You guys understand the sport so intricately and so implicitly. And if you say miles an hour instead of miles per hour and you don't say 60 footers and you don't talk about half track, all those things. So I'm really nervous about, I don't want to be the Daryl Eastlake anymore. And I say that with respect about Daryl. Um, so I just want to make sure that I stay relevant as long as I can, because I can't do this forever. And we know what happens when announcers do do it forever. It's not always a good thing. That's a great note to end on, at least for now. You've got a long way to go in this career, mate. You've you've still got plenty to offer, let me so. tell you. I can say that after sitting next to you um, a couple of weeks ago in Sydney and calling the uh, the Top Fuel event there, uh, mate, you've got plenty to offer and you've got plenty to teach the young announcers that are coming through, myself included, even though we've been working together for probably the better part of 20 years now. Um, oh you can still you can still learn things from each other. Yeah, oh, look, and, and if you don't, and 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 I and I learn even from the drivers that sit next to us, you know, like listening to the way they phrase something or the way they tell you something in the pits or, you know, stuff like that. So if if you're not prepared to learn anymore, and you know, we're we're all egomaniacs, Rusty. We all want to have that perfect word and that perfect sentence at that perfect time, and we we all want to commentate and and you know, be that guy on the soundtrack clip at the end of it when Lisa Gregorini beat John Zapier. You know, you want you want those moments in your life to click them off and go, wow, how cool is that? I was part of that. So as long as that still, as long as I think I'm still being able to contribute, then I want to do this for 
a few years longer. But you're right. We need to we need to bring some new kids through the ranks. It's not a it's not a thing that everybody can do, but we need them. Hundred percent, mate. Wado, thanks for your time, mate. Thanks for everything that you've contributed to Australian motorsport. And uh, hopefully, this isn't the last time we have you on the Race Wide Open podcast. Yeah. Look forward to it, mate. I appreciate your time. That wraps up today's episode of the Race Wide Open podcast. A massive thanks has to go out to Wado for taking the time to chat to me. Uh, Very eye-opening, that chat, and uh, hopefully you learned a little bit about Wade and what makes him tick. Make sure you do head over to the racewideopen.com website and stay up to date with all the latest news that you won't find anywhere else. Make sure you give us a follow on Facebook, and please make sure that you do subscribe to whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. I hope you enjoyed the show. My name's Russ. Gregory, and we'll see you next time on the Race Wide Open Podcast.